and welcome to episode 23 of ON The Saints. I'm your host, Patrick Serlis. With me once again is my co-host, Jack. Jack, how are you doing? Very well, thank you, Patrick. How are you? Very good, thanks. Very excited about this week's episode. Unfortunately, you won't be joining us for the interview that we've got coming up. Do you want to tell the listeners why? Yeah, I'm going down to um, Second Division Bournemouth, actually, with a couple mates of mine. We're just going to uh, see what the town's got to offer and yeah, just go go for a little bank holiday weekend down in Bournemouth. Piss up then, is it? A little bit of a piss up, yeah. Nice. And I said to you, you wanted to do the show on Sunday, but I'm not too sure what state I'm going to be on Sunday. So we'll have to, you'll have to do it without me. So we are recording this a few days early um, to accommodate your boozing habits. Um, you will not be joining us on the interview, which we've got coming up with David Monday, who is uh, the fantasy football scout editor, a uh, bit of a guru in the fantasy football world. He'll be coming on to tell us who we need in our teams, who we should be avoiding, um, all those managers that are tinkering with their lineups ahead of the new season. David is one of the main, one of the top experts in the fantasy football world. He is on FPL TV regularly and a YouTube pundit, um, ex-journalist, uh, and now the, the top dog at fantasy football scout. So he'll be joining us. I'm hoping he has uh, some nuggets of wisdom that don't just involve having Danny Ings in your lineup. Um, <laughs> hopefully he can pick out a few other Saints players for us, as well as telling us uh, who's looking good uh, ahead of the new season. So that's coming up. That's what you're missing, Jack. Gutted, gutted. I genuinely, I'm really looking forward to listening to this because I am, I would say, just like an average fantasy football player. I do put a lot of effort in, but I always find myself mid-table. Um, so hopefully, listening to this chat and, um, yeah, like you said, just to get a little bit of wisdom from the man and get some, get some advice, really, on how you can push up the table. Have you set your lineup yet? Not yet, not yet. I did it Good. too early, I think, last season. I did yeah. it too early. My last season's team, I'm not sure if we've said this in a previous podcast, but my team name was Shea Adams Golden Boot, which, you know, for the large portion of the season, I thought I'd fully curse the man. It was a curse. It was a hex on Shea Adams. <laughs> but eventually did come good. So I'll have to think long and hard about what this, this year's team name. If anyone has any suggestions or any good team names out there, send them in. Good idea. Yes. Yeah, send them uh, to OWT Saints Pod on Twitter or Instagram. And we might feature some of the best ones next week. So without further ado, let's get David onto the podcast. Um, and yeah, hopefully he's got some some uh, decent information for us as we pick our fantasy teams over the next week or so. I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast David Monday. David, how you doing? Yeah, very good, thanks. Very busy at this time of year, as always. Everybody's... Uh frantically searching for uh, fantasy tips as fast as they can so uh, they usually find me they usually find our site so we're throwing everything we can at the wall in the hope that uh, it helps people out before the start of the season so yeah yeah thanks for having me on it's great to be here no problem it's great to it's great to speak to you uh, I'm going to give you the big build up here because I think you deserve it um, and for those that might not be familiar with you um, a bit of a legend in the fantasy football community uh, fantasy football just generally seems to keep growing every year and we'll, we'll come on to it but um, FPL, as it's known, I guess, is, is familiar to pretty much everyone and it seems to be uh, becoming more and more mainstream every year in the sense that you see it now on traditional broadcasts and there's increasing awareness around it. I think the players, the number of players is going up every year. Um, football them, themselves even mention it every now and again. Um, 
And as a result, there's a large number of content creators um, in FPL who are providing stats, advice, and tips to casual and, and serious players. Um, so it really has come a long way since I remember playing it um, back kind of five, six, seven, eight years ago. It's come a long, long way since then. And you're the editor of Fantasy Football Scout, which is one of those content creators. Um, and you're a regular on FPL TV. You've got 20,000 followers on Twitter. Fantasy Football Scout is one of the one of the biggest sites. It's got 150,000 followers on Twitter. So I couldn't think of anyone better to have on to discuss fantasy football. So thank you very much for joining us. You're too kind. <laughs> As editor of Fantasy Football Scout, it sounds like a dream job for someone that loves fantasy football. Oh yeah, hugely. I mean, um, when I when I first got offered this job by um, by my predecessor, who's, who himself is is very much a legend in the FPL community. Some people may have heard of him, Mr. Mark Southerns, who was kind of he was the first fantasy expert to go on television, effectively uh, mm. on the, on the FPL TV show with uh, Jules and James. When he offered me the job, I just kind of pinched myself. It was it was it was crazy. I mean, I I'd, I'd, I'd done a bit of work on fantasy football when I was my previous job. I was a journalist just at my local newspaper. And um, rather than, I got a little bit bored. I have to apologize to Plymouth Argyle fans. I got a little bit bored of some of the Argyle stories I was doing. So I thought I'd sneak in a few fantasy stories. And it just turned out I was one of the only journalists in the country who was doing it at the time. So I got very lucky because I got, because I think they're all doing it now. I was, mm-hmm. I think I just kind of accidentally did it maybe a year or two before it became as mainstream as it is now, as you mentioned. So um, yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, I watch Premier League football. Uh, I work from home. Um, you know, and uh, I basically get paid to tinker with my fantasy team. It's, uh, yeah, it is very much a dream come true. Sounds fantastic. Um, our paths actually crossed um, before. You kind of mentioned that you're at Plymouth Herald. Um, at Give Me Sport, um, I, I was a staff member there and I think you were an intern. Is that right? Yeah, something like that. I can't, yeah, I don't know what the official It was a, it was a long time was. ago. <laughs> yeah, about five or six years ago. And uh, yeah, no, it was great. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I have to say, I mean, I, the t- this time I spent at Gimme Sport was was great. It really kind of gave me that leg up to to go on and, and become a journalist. Um, this, you know, the content that we did there was uh, was really good fun, and it just was it kind of was my first experience of a newsroom, to be honest. Um, mm. So yeah, um, yeah, really cool to to meet up once again for podcasts like this. Before we dive into the fantasy chat, you reminded me um, of a story that um, we must have discussed back at Gimme Sport. <laughs> But yeah. I'd, I'd forgotten about it completely until you reminded me when we were kind of exchanging messages prior to um, this recording. But you're a Reading fan. Um, yeah, trying uh, to boo me too loudly. <laughs> <laughs> but that season when we both got promoted, obviously going into that huge, huge game at St. Mary's, um, I was there. I think I was sitting in the chapel. Um, and obviously that was a top of the table clash. Both teams going for promotion um, right towards the end of the season huge huge game and it was kind of billed as I guess like winner winner wins the title which which ended up being the case you you guys won 3-1 huge result for you and you ended up winning the title worked out for us we went up in second place and I think West Ham went up through the playoffs but you reminded me of I was sitting in the chapel and as that third goal went in I can't remember who scored it maybe LaFondra yeah, um, if it was that season, it probably was, yeah. Yeah, it was, it, well, him and Jason Roberts just completely destroyed us in that game. Um, I remember just classic away performance from from Reading. Um, and yeah, as that third goal went in, I think it was LaFondra, the guy sitting next to me, I have no idea who he was. He hadn't said a word to me all game. He just turned to me and said, oh, wish I had a rocket launcher. 
And it was one of those moments where I was like, did I hear that correctly? <laughs> it was one of the most bizarre things anyone's ever said to me at a game. And obviously when you're at a game, people do say some weird stuff. They do, um, yeah. <laughs> but the, the Reading fans were going nuts, obviously. Um, you basically won the match there and then. And I, was, I, I just turned to him and I said, uh, why? And he was like, I would send a rocket launcher grenade straight into that away end. And I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> what, what a moment that was. Um, so I just kind of didn't respond, just looked straight ahead and was like, I don't think I've ever left the ground qu- uh, as quick as I did that day. <laughs> yeah. I was oh, just yeah, that, like, that could have ended badly. I don't want to sit next to this bloke for, for, for much longer. So, um, but no, that was hilarious. Um, so yeah, I mean, to start with, I guess, let's, um, let's speak about Fantasy Football Scout. Did you just want to give a, a lowdown to our listeners of, of what type of content you guys offer? Yeah, sure. I mean, so to be honest, the, the way I treat uh, our content, I, I like us to be sort of perceived almost like, uh, you know, BBC Sport or Sky Sports uh, kind of um, branding in terms of, you know, we just we will do news stories on, on, you know, stories about players. We do match reports as well. We kind of analyse you know who's played well last week who's going to do well this week that sort of thing but all of that of course with the view to the fantasy angle so you know if we've got the opportunity to do a you know an in-depth analysis of N'Golo Kante or we could do an in-depth analysis of Stuart Armstrong we're gonna we're gonna pick the latter because you know he's a player who's more likely to um, be exciting and, and deliver for fantasy players um, so that's what we do in terms of articles and we we use um, a lot of opta data to do that so we uh, we have quite a rich and increasing number of members who pay a, a yearly fee to sign up to uh, get access to all of that data themselves and kind of play around with it in a very interactive uh, premium members area with um, a season ticker that you can kind of uh, interact with so who's got the best fixtures or the worst fixtures who's got a a period of fixtures coming up that are better than before um, comparison tools where you can look at heat maps and you can look at shot maps and xg shot maps and all sorts of really awesome kind of football geeky stuff um, and uh, so you, you you pay to have access to that but you also get uh, members articles from us as well where we an- analyze that information uh, for ourselves we, we do videos as well we do podcasts we're pretty much, I think, now on any channel, every, any and every channel that there's available. We've got an Instagram. We've even got a TikTok, which is actually not <laughs> something that I'm actually directly involved in uh, in arranging. I'm I'm starting to become not a young person anymore because I'm 28. <laughs> I'm approaching my 30s, so we've delegated that to someone else to sort out the Fantasy Football Scout TikTok. But yeah, we're absolutely everywhere. So if you're interested in some of the stuff that um that I've talked about and some of the stuff that I'm going to talk about in the next few minutes. Just Google Fantasy Football Scout or just search for Fantasy Football Scout on whatever platform is your chosen choice and hopefully you should find us and then find our website as well. So yeah, we, I like to think we offer absolutely anything and everything you could possibly need to uh, pick your best fantasy football team. I was going to say, it sounds comprehensive is the word I think there. Yes, um, I, pro- I probably could have just used that one word you know, and saved <laughs> a few minutes. Um, but I'm going to start, uh, we'll start with Saints uh, specific fantasy stuff and then we'll come on for those of you that are looking for more general advice for your fantasy teams as you start to uh, put that together ahead of the season. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll come on to that. But to start with, um, on a Saints front, obviously Danny Ings was the man last season, 22 mm. goals in the Premier League. Kind of came out of nowhere a little bit as a Saints fan. Obviously, he'd scored a few goals the season before. He's obviously struggled with his injury problems. But last season, fully fit and scoring pretty much every week. Um how early were you on the Ings hype train? Because I guess it, it becomes, there's a little bit of an element of kind of bandwagon jumping, isn't there, when someone hits a bit of form? How early did you catch on to, to Ings being a potential difference maker? 
Yeah, I mean, it w- I wasn't actually as early as I wanted to be, but I think I was still slightly earlier than, than I don't want to say everybody else, because I don't want to act like I, I discovered him, because I, I didn't really. But um, it was about late November, mm-hmm. um, or maybe mid-November, some sometime in the autumn. Um, and, I mean, you've raised an excellent point. No, I think one thing that we often, what, what I think is a big part of what Fantasy Football Scout is there for is we're there to kind of assess these bandwagons and test them to see if they are sustainable. And I remember when uh, he was first starting to do well, I personally was a little bit skeptical because he, near the beginning, it was kind of a case of he didn't necessarily shoot loads. It was just every time he did shoot, it went in. And typically that's the type of player I don't like to own. I tend to prefer, this is really just a personal preference, really. I like to have players who are going to shoot seven or eight times a game. The majority of that's going to be in the box. They're going to be high quality chances and they're always on target. He eventually did start doing that. And I think that's why I signed him up um, because it was, it was a case of his form didn't get better. He it just got more sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a question I'm always going to be asking about fantasy players. Um, and it's interesting because when we, when we look at Ings over the course of the season, He's one of these players who does really well um, for difficult chances. If you hand a, a really um, a, a shot with a low XG, let's say, to Danny Ings, he's a heck of a lot more likely to score it than if you hand, hand it to many of the other players in the Premier League. So it's interesting because in the fantasy community, initially he did kind of buck a bit of a trend um, with the XG. But in the end, it just he just scored every week. It didn't matter. It got He kind of simplified the matter himself by just carrying on scoring. So he had an incredible season. Really happy for him, actually, because I used to kind of follow him a little, little bit at Burnley and obviously the injuries he had at Liverpool. Mm-hmm. I suppose looking forward to the new season, though, uh, in fact, you will discover if uh, everybody was in love with Danny Ings last year, even if they weren't a Southampton fan, they'll, they'll, I predict they will be a little bit less forgiving of him this year because now he's a lot more expensive. Fantasy managers will ask a lot more of him. So if he goes three or four games without a goal, you could find that he's going to start getting a bit more abuse on Twitter. So you'll have to look out for that. <laughs> I was going to ask you um, about that in terms of the new season. It's not not quite offering the same value then, is he? If his, if his price has gone up? Yeah, so I mean, I, th- I still think he'll have a good year. But I think, yeah, you can't really argue against the idea that value-wise, he will offer... Um, less, uh, or sorry, fewer points per million, or however you want to look at it, than before. Because mm-hmm. I think he'll have another. I think he can have another twenty goal season because he's good enough. Uh, Southampton certainly seem to be building towards a team that can kind of, you know, do a Wolves or a Sheffield United, you know, challenge for Europe. I think they can do that. But of course, if you're, what was, what does he start last year? I think he started six million mm-hmm. or something, um, and finished the campaign maybe seven point three. A massive price rise up to 8.5. Um, it means that you can't rely on him to be an enabler anymore. You're having to fork out a little bit of extra money for him to be there. So he really does have to do the business or people are going to get a bit itchy. He's the same price as Raul Jimenez uh, to use as a, perhaps a bit of context. If, okay. if Jimenez is on a good run of form and Ings has maybe not scored in two or three, and people are going to start jumping that bandwagon a lot sooner than they would last year. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. He's on my radar. Whether or not I'm going to own him, I'm actually not so sure. Okay. Any other Saints players that you're interested in? Um, I guess his strike partner, Shea Adams, is potentially one that offers a bit of value. Had a great form towards the end of last season after um, a well-publicised goalless run. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing he's someone are you potentially looking at ahead of the new season? I think you, you produced an article on him relatively recently, didn't you? 
Yes, uh, yeah, one of our one of our um, pundits, um, a guy called Tom Freeman, who's a much better fantasy manager than me, I should say. Uh, he's finished in the top ten k five or six or seven times, something like that. Um, so if you if you have a chance to go on Fantasy Football Scout and look for the article that compares Adams and Ings, have a go and uh, have a read if you're interested. Um, because yeah, the comparisons between um, the two players at the um, at the end of last season made for interesting reading because um, as you said, Adams kind of as you said, like he just didn't have a good season overall to the point that if you even dared to suggest his name anywhere near a fantasy team, you were kind of laughed out of the room. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but this, to be honest, I mean, without wanting to sound like a broken record, this is where Fantasy Football Scouts um, premium members area comes in really helpful because we were able to kind of analyse quite easily using the features that we've got. We could see that in the, in the project restart period, um, you know, um, Danny Ings had 22 shots in the box. Um, Adams was not far off it. He had 17 in just 381 minutes. So his minutes per chance was way higher than Ings. Um, he had four big chances. Ings had six, but you know, Ings had played more than double the minutes. Right. Um, shots on target, uh, Ings had nine, Adams had seven. So their numbers from a raw perspective, very, very close. But of course, he'd only played the, um, did he maybe start the last three or four, something like that? Yep. So what he produced in those short periods was very exciting to the point that because he's six million, he um, he's a lot more attractive to me as a as a fantasy manager who's not kind of you know wedded to having Danny Ings in my team. And um, I don't know, it's hard to tell because yeah, he did struggle when he first started. But if he were to keep up that form from the end of last season, moving into the start of the new season, he could theoretically. And I don't want to nail my colours to the mask completely because I know Danny Ings is a bit of a fantasy darling. He could potentially outscore him so and then of course the price factor it could be it could be perfect for him to score potentially more goals for a cheaper price so Adams is very much on my radar anyone else uh, I was going to mention Will Prowse obviously on set pieces for us and and defensively um, we signed Kyle Walker-Peters and we improved uh, at the back through the project restart period I, I wasn't particularly we weren't particularly strong um, but we, we've signed Walker-Peters we've signed Salasu at the back as well Anyone else throughout uh, the Saints lineup that you would potentially be looking at? Yeah, so um, Walker Peters is one of them actually, because I think fantasy managers, um, when you're looking for a 4.5 million defender, you do usually want to try and go for a, a you know a kind of a team like Southampton that has the ability on a good day to keep a clean sheet against most of the teams um, in the bottom half of the table. And I think Southampton are at that state now, and I think they've got a good goalkeeper in Alex McCarthy as well. So the defence has the ability to keep clean sheets. But with fullbacks, you theoretically get a lot more, um, especially in the modern game, of an opportunity for that player to be, you know, up the pitch and putting crosses into the box, maybe making some late overlapping runs and having a few shots. Um, And, um, you know, we could see that from Kyle Walker-Peters. So I think he might actually be in my current draft. I've done maybe like a hundred drafts since all the prices (laughs) came out. So, you know, perhaps maybe everybody's been at some stage, but I'm pretty sure he's in my latest one because um, defensively, Southampton's fixtures do look quite nice. Alex McCarthy is another one. I'm I'm torn between him and Matt Ryan, the two 4.5 million goalkeepers. Because when you look at the first six games for Southampton, Palace away, I mean, I think Palace away has to be defensively like the easiest fixture in the league because they couldn't only scored like 12 goals at home last season. Um, they got you know got Burnley away, West Brom at home, Everton at home. That's four of the first six. Yes, there's Spurs and Chelsea in there, but someone like Walker Peters or McCarthy perfect for a defensive rotation if you've maybe got um, players from other teams that have nicer fixtures when Southampton play Spurs and Chelsea um, you can feel a lot more comfortable owning that player knowing you can just swap them out for that week so very much looking at those types of players and um, Stuart Armstrong I think is in the conversation for a lot of people um, mm-hmm. because just because of his price I mean he's 5.5 million um, and 
what I saw of him when he had good games last year looked really exciting. Seems kind of capable of getting goals and assists, which is really what you want out of a midfield player. You want a balance of both of those things. Um, it seems to shoot a fair amount when he's on the pitch, not necessarily always in the box, but he's like ridiculously accurate. You know, wherever he shoots from, he tends to hit the target. Whether it goes in is another story, of course, but players like that are usually ones I'm drawn to if they've got some element of underlying statistics that that I like. So yeah, they're, I think they're, they're most of the players I'm thinking of. Um, I mean, I was actually going to ask you a question, if that's if mm-hmm. that's allowed, if we can reverse the roles for, for one second. Um, Go for it. Lo- losing um, Hoybjerg, but I haven't spoken to as many Southampton fans as I would like. Does that something that, that worries you? And my question, I guess, is in, in the holding midfield role in midfield, are you happy with what's there? Because to be honest, that almost helps me with my research <laughs> for the start of the season as well, from a defensive perspective. Sure. I mean... If you'd asked me that question in March, um, I would, it would have been a massive yes. The fact that we, we were losing Hoiberg um, and that he came up publicly and said he wanted to leave. At that point, I was very much of, of the opinion, well, that's going to be a big, big blow for us. Um, there's no doubt that he was one of our most talented players. Um, and then through the Project Restart games, uh, Will Prowse was in the midfield alongside Romeo, uh, and the two of them were fantastic. Um, got to be conscious of the fact that it is a pretty small sample size it was nine games we played very very well in those nine games well in eight games we the Arsenal game was pretty terrible um but but by and large we were very very good um that's not to say that we don't desperately need midfield reinforcements though we've just let Harrison Reed join Fulham permanently Mario Amina's joining Fulham on loan as well basically leaves us with Warprow's uh Romeo in the middle um, very, very thin there. So we do need to sign a replacement for sure. Um, but that's not to say that I would, if we went into a game with Romeo and more prowls in the middle, uh, seeing what they did over the last nine games, I'm pretty confident in that. It's just the lack of depth behind it is concerning. Mm. Um, Hoiberg is kind of, is one of those ones where there's, looking back on it, the way he left, some people, it left a little bit of a sour taste in, in the fact that he went kind of public and said that, he was um, keen to move on for trophies. Then turns out he joined Tottenham, um, which, <laughs> um, which is fair enough. Yeah, I guess. maybe he wasn't uh, so committed after all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that, you, you can't dispute the fact that he was one of our better players um, over the course of last season. And when we were struggling um, over the last couple of seasons, he was, he was our captain and one of our best players and, and was fully committed to the team. So I guess to answer your question is... Uh, I'd keep an eye out for who we'll be bringing in because we'll 100% be signing someone um, in that position. And I think Will Prowse's net, his, his position is nailed on as one of those centre mid um, positions as captain. It's just going to be who's going to be alongside him. Romeo will be in there, I think, pretty consistently to start the season. But depending on who we bring in, I think um, we'll be bringing in someone that, given a couple of months of kind of acclimatising to Ralph's style of football, they'll be coming in to kind of partner more prowse on a more permanent basis. Romeo's a great option for us off the bench and he, and he did fantastic, but I don't think that he's got the ability to last a full season in the midfield. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, it's exactly the kind of thing that, that that kind of conversation to have about teams is exactly what we look at from a fantasy perspective of defensive p- potential. And that was one thing that made me think twice about Southampton defense was just mm-hmm. losing that, um, losing that key man. But yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I agree with you. I, I was impressed with the way they defended uh, in, in project restart. So maybe it's not the end of the world, as you say. Um, Romeo's yeah. defensive qualities are very, very good. Um, he gets he gets booked a lot. Uh, he dives into challenges <laughs> and he's pretty aggressive. Um, but defensively, he's he's strong um, and he's a physical presence in there. So I wouldn't be particularly concerned about 
um, our defensive um, performance is suffering a dip and they didn't really suffer a dip during Project Restart. What I'm more concerned about is how sustainable that is over the course of 38 games. It's all yeah. well and good doing it over nine games, but um, feel much more comfortable as, as Romeo being an option in our midfield rather than a first choice starter every week. So Winston, Weston McKenney was touted as being the person that we were going to bring in for around £20 million. He's gone to Juventus. So it'll be interesting to see who our backup targets are because I'm sure we've got we've got some lined up. Hmm. Well, the handy thing is, I suppose, with fantasy, and because I always have to look at it with this head on, is that with Southampton, I'm very much looking at the first six games. Um, and as you say, if, if, if he can do well in that period, then, I, then personally, I'm not going to be too worried about right. the longevity of that of that um, uh, particular factor on the Southampton defence. Um, because usually, I don't know what, where I'm going to play it this year, but six or seven game weeks in is usually when wildcards start to get played. So right. um, Southampton with those first nice six fixtures, um, yeah, it's, I, I, from what I've heard, it sounds like I'm still happy to go with, with some Southampton defenders if uh, they compare nicely with some of the other cheaper options around the park. Sure. Another thing that I saw on your Twitter feed, uh, Saints related, was about the squad numbers. <laughs> um, oh, yes, yeah. We we changed quite a few of our players. Actually, have changed squad numbers um, with with many of the key ones kind of moving down to a very pleasing on the eye one through eleven. Um, how much stock do you take when you're kind of analysing squads and you and you see players' squad numbers changing? And do you put anything in that? Yeah, sometimes I think yeah. um, you, you can do that. I, I'm, I'm trying to think of some examples in the past when, um, well, sometimes it can't, it doesn't work out. I mean, I think we can all remember with Antonio Valencia at Man United, right? Did he take on the number seven and then right. it all went to pot when he was number 25 before? Uh, but usually when you've got players who perhaps maybe young players um, have maybe been in and out of the team um, one season and look promising, if they then claim a decent number for the next season, so... Um, apologies, I, I, I'm, I'm not using another Southampton example here, but Bukayo Sacco at Arsenal, uh, Saka mm-hmm. at Arsenal, he was number 77 last year, and I think he's now number seven, and that, that's quite exciting because you know he's a cheap player, he's a young player with lots of uh, spirit and lots of energy, and the fact that he's been handed that number does definitely make me feel more confident having him in my fantasy team this year. Um, and I suppose you know with the, with the squad number changes that have been made at Southampton as well, I think. Fantasy managers, what we what we usually look for and what we love the most is a nailed on team, um, yeah. and uh, you know a team that we can pick without even speaking to the manager. Um, and um, largely speaking, you know, after, after I mean, if I'm allowed to mention the nine nil, I don't know if I'll get um, you know hounded off the podcast for, for, for this. <laughs> but um, the, the turn, I mean, I will always say that the turnaround from that was incredible. Um, I, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a team hit rock bottom that badly and then turn around so quickly and so well and then just be an established team the next year. But mm-hmm. the period that Hasenhutl did that in, he, I'm pretty sure he had a completely unchanged back four for what, maybe 10 or 11 games through you know, October through to January. And uh, that, was, that was a beautiful time to own Southampton players because you knew who was going to start every game. Um, and and it, was, it was great. I mean, I think it was uh, the back four especially. Was it Bertrand, Vestergaard, mm-hmm. Bednarek maybe? Bednarek. And- yeah, um, that that four core group of players that was great. So when we see managers starting to kind of tweak their squad numbers so that you know the the you know this person this person they all has specific numbers, kind of suggests to me that maybe we might have a nice set of Southampton back four this season as well. You probably know more about that than me, but it definitely helps fantasy managers to know who's going to play every game. Sure, I mean yes, uh, our defence was a massive problem at the start of the season, and Ralph was playing a few different formations that. Kind of um, was contributing to the 
general performances at the back and we had various players that were kind of rotating in and out. He then did start to settle on a more regular team and by the end of the season, the back four picked itself with um, Walker-Peters, Bertrand at fullback and then Stevens and Bednarak in the middle. Um, so, yeah, you could, as from a fantasy perspective, that's nailed on our back four to start the season. We have brought in Salasu, who plays in that left centre-back position, um, which which I, I would imagine we'd give him time to settle in. But after a couple of months, I'm sure he'll start. Um, well, if he's as good as people um, have picked him up to be, um, he'll he'll start competing for one of those positions. And that means Stevens or Bednarak. Probably Stevens, um, if I had to pick one of the two, would be under threat a little bit. Um, Bednarak was excellent for us through most of the se- season. Stevens was very, very good too, but I think he's pro- his place is probably a little bit more under threat than uh, Bednarak. Um, but I wanted to move on to some more general fantasy advice away from Saints um, while we've got you here because I'm sure uh, some of our listeners will be thinking about putting their teams together um, over the next week or so and and, uh, as we build up to the first uh, game week so I guess first of all which which big money players are you targeting who do you like this season it's you've obviously got a limited budget and you've got to make decisions between um, a few of the top options. Who are you targeting and who are you avoiding? Yeah, so I, I mean, in a normal season, that's actually a much easier question. But uh, as 2020 keeps trying to have its way with us, it's not as, not as easy as it usually is because uh, Man United and Man City, mm-hmm. um, because of their European excursions obviously being delayed by uh, COVID, COVID seems to be very good at delaying everything. And the European football is one of them. It means they don't play in game one. And it also means Burnley and Villa don't either. So, but Man United and Man City players are going to be so key this year. I mean, I think, I think if he's fit, Rashford can have a big year. Um, Fernandez obviously was just incredible for United from a fantasy perspective, especially um, at the end of last season. Not playing a game with one. Man City, Kevin De Bruyne obviously was the top scoring player. Raheem Sterling, I think, was the top scoring player in Project Restart. He certainly scored more points than De Bruyne did during that period. So mm-hmm. two, there's there's four big players there that I really want to have this year, but I can't have in game with one. So I'm very much building my team in such a way that relatively soon I can I can get to those players without having to kind of either play my wild card or take so many hits that I end up, you know, bruised and black and blue. So um, the players that I've got at the moment are, um, I'm building my team around prices more so than I'm building them around players because generally speaking, if you want to, if you want to sort of take your fantasy football from being more of a casual um, pastime to something a little bit more committed to maybe win your, your work mini league. uh, The big advice I would give you is you need to have flexibility from one game week to the next. So you always need to have, players in certain price points so you can jump off that price point and jump into a different player on in the same price point who's just hit form um and the best way that we can use that strategy to get around the man united and man city problem at the start of the season basically is to own abamyang at arsenal uh and salah at liverpool as well but i mean uh, salah's kind of an easy obvious one i suppose but um abamyang the reason why he's particularly helpful at the start of the season is that arsenal have two very good fixtures right at the beginning they play fulham uh in game week one um and then in game week two uh they play uh after forgive me while I look it up. <laughs> they play someone who's quite useful. It's West Ham. It's West Ham. So mm-hmm. Fulham and West Ham first two games, very appealing fixtures um, when Man City have a blank and then I think they play Wolves. 
So you'd much rather own a Bamiang, who's a midfielder sure. this year, by the way, uh, which is which is big. Uh, he played on the left flank of Arsenal's uh, front three last year, so he's now officially a midfielder. So he gets more points for his goals. Mm-hmm. You, you have him for the first two game weeks, and then when you hit game week three, this is what I'm looking to do because he's five point five million more expensive than Kevin De Bruyne uh, or Raheem Sterling. Switch to him then, um, and then I've got Kane up front, who's ten point five because Spurs. Um, Nice fixtures I can get to him. I can get to uh, Martial quite easily from him. Yep. Um, and if I'm jumping down to Martial from Kane, I can probably upgrade one of my midfielders to Rashford or to Fernandez. So that's the kind of thinking that I've got at the start of the season is to let the fixtures shape which big players I go with and not be too worried about not necessarily owning them if they have a, a tougher fixture or in the case of Man City and Man United, don't even play at all. So um, yeah, that's the general thinking of how I'm sort of approaching the start of the season from the big names perspective. Mm-hmm. And as a, as more of a casual player, I, this is a word that I see pretty frequently. Um, uh, differentials. Um, <laughs> on that, is there anybody that you like the look of uh, ahead of the new season that, that maybe will be slightly underowned that you think there's there's potential there for a breakout? Yeah, well, I mean, without wanting to sound, I guess, like being repetitive, I think Shea Adams fits that kind of model absolutely perfectly because for someone to be a differential what they've got to be is there's got to be kind of a reason for them to not be considered because I think at this stage of the season most people are going to consider anyone who's a decent price right but who are they not going to go for they're going to not go for someone who had a bad year last year on the whole um, you know they're, they're not going to have David McGoldrick for example you know a player that missed more big chances than anybody in the Premier League you know they're not going to go for Shea Adams who obviously as we said had a bad season but there is enough data there to suggest that he could have a good one now um, and, and this is this is where I mean I, if I'm looking for situations where the Fantasy Football Scout premium members area can come in helpful this is exactly the right um, area because you, you go through and you can quite easily look at the players who were getting in the best positions because you can analyse where they were touching the ball you can see how often they were shooting um, what quality of the chances they were um, shooting with and whether the shot was on target and Shea Adams is, is one of those players as we discussed already so um, yeah, he, he's one I'm particularly looking at. And another one that I quite like the look of is um, Thomas Suchek at West Ham. Yep. Because most people would look at the team sheet and say, defensive midfielder, not interested, right? But um, if you look at his heat map for the end of last season, he mo- most of his touches were in defensive areas, as you would expect of any defensive midfielder. But he had a ridiculously high number of touches in the penalty box because he just had a knack for getting in there at the right time. And of West Ham players... Only uh, Bowen and Antonio had more touches in the box in Project Restart than Socek. Um, of, of midfielders priced 5.5 million or below, he had the most uh, shots in the box. Um, so he's a kind of player that people probably overlook, especially with West Ham having sort of dicey fixtures. But we've all seen what he can do from set pieces and, and the data is showing that he can kind of do it consistently. So he's another player that I'm looking at as well. I think they're the types of players that, as you say, they the differentials that, that hopefully your friends won't have um, right. because they'd rather have perhaps maybe an Antonio rather than Suchek. They'd rather have Ings rather than Adams. Um, you know, they're the players that, yeah, that can, that can do well because they kind of hide behind someone else who's a bigger, more established name. Interesting. Where do you stand on kind of new signings? Um, whether... It's new to the Premier League, I guess, uh, or just kind of promoted clubs. Where do you start, where do you stand there? Because in the past, I've been guilty of seeing a, a new uh, someone come in from a foreign league and been really excited about watching them in the Premier League, going straight into the fantasy team. But I guess you can't be too confident about 
their place in the starting 11 or how well they'll gel with the new teammates. So where do you stand on adding in new signings? Obviously, there's a lot at Chelsea to consider, but elsewhere as well. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I I try not to have a hard and fast rule on it because I think if you just tell yourself, I'll never, ever own someone who's come to the Premier League having never started here regularly, then you can you can end up missing out on say someone like Mohamed Salah yep. <laughs> who obviously came I mean I know we've been at Chelsea before but you know really didn't get much of a chance so I still see that season as being his first proper Premier League season you know he, he came here and did that you know he's 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 perhaps me could be an exception to the rule sometimes but I tend to try and take it on a case by case basis to be, to be perfectly honest and I think um, I look at the Chelsea options and I'm very excited so I have Ziyech in my team at the moment I've had okay. Werner in a draft as well I think. If a player's done well in the Champions League, I think then you can be a little bit more confident that they can score against English clubs. I mean, especially in the case of, uh, I think, pretty sure Werner scored against Spurs. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Ziyech and, uh, and Ajax did very well against, uh, well, Spurs again, actually, um, the season before last. Um, players like that. Um, so, well, I mean, we, have, we haven't talked about Lionel Messi coming to the Premier League yet. I mean, like, if he comes <laughs> to fantasy football, then there's, I'm, I'm out of the job. Like, nobody needs advice anymore, do they? Just captain him. But, you know... We'll, We'll know that he'll score against English teams because we've seen him do it. So Champions League football can be a nice filter on whether or not you feel that a player can can do well. As for newly promoted, um, I tend to, I don't know, I tend to look at to see what they achieved in, in the championship. So I'll use an example and compare Bamford with Pukki. Um, mm-hmm. Pukki in the season that um, Norwich won the championship, I think he was top of the whole league for shots in the box, top of the whole league for big chances, top of the, the whole league for shots on target and was the golden boot winner, 29 goals. I think that's the most a golden boot winner had scored at that level since Glenn Murray, maybe like quite a while ago. So clearly a player who, can, who, knows, who knows how to score goals because the underlying stats suggest he just doesn't stop shooting. But with Bamford, who admittedly I have had in a few drafts. Um, so maybe, maybe this is a bad example to use, but I, I, I wouldn't expect him to hit the Premier League, you know, hit the ground running in the Premier League so quickly because, you know, there were lots of players who shot more often than him last year. He actually wasted quite a lot of number of big chances as well. So, yeah, you've got to go on a case-by-case basis and kind of um, look at each, um, the pros and cons of each option. I think, yeah, if you have a hard and fast rule on, on either you, you will or you won't, then you end up in trouble. If you have too many new signings and your team probably is a bit too much of a, of a risk at every level. And mm-hmm. if you don't have any of them at all, you can sometimes miss out on the new bandwagons like people sort of did with Salah. So, yeah. You mentioned Messi there and that's just made <laughs> me think. Um, who's the most expensive player in, in Premier League fantasy this year? Uh, it- so that would be Salah and Mane are both 12 million. Where, where, if Messi did end up at City or wherever, where do you think he would be priced? Uh, well, I mean, I think... I mean, it's a really hard one because he obviously he's messy. I don't really need to explain much more than that, don't I? Um, but he's never played in the Premier League. So mm-hmm. I think that the people pricing him wouldn't go as far as to say, give him like a 14 million straight away. Um, I think the only person who's ever got as expensive as 14 million, ironically enough, was Ronaldo uh, when uh, he was just the absolute king of, uh, of Old Trafford. What would it have been? 07, 08, perhaps? Yep. He, he made it to 14 million because he'd had a 29 goal season in the Premier League. So I think that they probably price him at 13 because he's messy. And then if he has a good season, you know, if, <laughs> if he has a good season, then maybe they'd put him <laughs> up to 14 after that. Okay. Okay. Um, this was one that's just, you've already mentioned that Aubameyang has gone, uh, well, been reclassified as a midfielder. Where do you stand on the kind of classification side of things? Um, he's not a midfielder, obviously. He's a forward. But as far as fantasy goes, can you just explain a little bit the reasons why they might have done that? Yeah, yeah, sure. So they, they have um, 
they have um, specific criteria for um, how they how they decide these. And I know the Aubameyang one to to perhaps the people who don't necessarily look at team sheets every Saturday ten times a day, um, like like that like we've done in the past in 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 the work that we've done. You might not necessarily notice that um, he's played in a, in a wider role um, that some people would perceive to be a midfield role. And the way that fantasy goes through and does all their positions, if you play. It's quite simple for the most part. If you play in, if you've got a three-four-three system, if you play in the back three or you play as a wing back, you're a defender. Um, if you play as a central midfielder or if you play on the flanks of a front three, you're a midfielder, like mm-hmm. Salah and Mane are. Okay. And Aubameyang effectively played the exact same position as those two players last year. And then, of course, the centre forward in a in a three-four-three or the two centre forwards in a three-five-two or a four-four-two, they are going to be forwards, but. Um, if if uh, Aubameyang had stayed as a forward for this year. Then basically Salah, Mane, uh, Troyore, uh, or anyone who plays on the flanks of a front three, I'm pure sick. You know, anyone who plays on that in that position would also have to be a forward because they kind of have to be consistent. That's yep. why they also classified Rashford as a midfielder because he did exactly the same. Theirs, I think, was a four-two-three-one. So if you're going through and deciding who's in what position, United played with one striker. They played with Martial. They played with three attacking midfielders, of which one was Rashford, Greenwood. And Fernandez. So, because they're in the same part of the team, that's why the midfielders. So, yeah, it, it, it's it's perhaps a little bit pernickety, but it, the consistency is there, which I do like. Okay, this is a big one for me personally. How do you stop yourself from constantly tinkering before the deadline? <laughs> is there oh, any? Know. Is it possible? Uh, maybe get a wife who hates football. Um, <laughs> that that's that works perfectly for me. Um, she. <laughs> I mean, to, to be honest, I, I'm in a way, I don't want to say I'm the wrong person to ask this question, but because for me, it's my job. Actually, most people are quite good at switching off from their job, aren't they? You'd, you'd right. love to, you know, at the end of any shift, you're like, oh, I can't bother think about that anymore. What am I exactly. doing tonight? You know, watching, watching some Netflix or whatever. So for me, I, I just switch it off because I have to. Uh, but if I, if I wasn't in this position, um, I actually don't want to encourage you to do that. I'd rather you spend five hours a night on Fantasy <laughs> Football Scout. So, Very good point. Yeah. Very good point. Um, More of a general question. I I think you've already answered it actually, but I'll just ask it anyway. What kind of, what strategies do you like going into this season? Is there, do you like to maintain flexibility or is there anything particular that you're looking to implement this season that you might not have done in the past? Um, Well, there's something that um, I did in my first season as editor of Fantasy Football Scout that worked really well that I didn't do so much last year and I want to do again, which is to be a little bit more patient. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, I I mean, not that I'm trying to sort of point the finger, but my my dad is a casual manager and I used to be one. And I can say that I think casual managers are a little bit, a little bit more impatient than the more cerebral kind of like obsessive people. Um, Because, you know, you're kind of going in there just looking for some goals and and nobody's going to score every week like not even Danny Ings is going to do that so um, the the first season that I was in this role I decided I was going to um, be a lot more patient with, with players who are in my team if they didn't score I'd see I'd, I'd watch the highlights with the view of did they nearly score did they go close did they hit the bar did the goalkeeper have to produce a world-class save to start you know any other goalkeeper that's going to go in you know look at factors like that um, and then when, when I did that, it meant that I was holding on to players long enough to have them again when, once they hit form once again. Um, and, and it's not necessarily 
a hard and fast rule you have to take with everyone because you, your team can get very, I guess, kind of dogged very quickly if you're not making many changes. But I think especially with the expensive players, you're paying a lot of money to have them in your team, which means at some stage they've had a 20 maybe even 30 goal involvement season. So they're still a quality player. They're not going to disappear um, for longer than two to three games. Um, I think a lot of people look at the prices this year and think, oh, there's a lot of expensive midfield players. I'm going to chop and change between them. I think that's kind of a recipe for disaster. If you're going to chop and change between them, I think you're going to miss points. You're going to chase points. You know, he scored last week and he didn't, so I'll swap. And then it's the other way around. You know, he, the one who didn't score does and the one who does didn't. So, Patience, I found, had a big impact on me getting some high finishes in the overall rankings that I didn't achieve before I was so patient. So it's tough, I know, because it's a very emotional game and football just is all about the emotions. But And maybe I'm making it a bit too boring. But if you can be <laughs> as patient as you possibly can, generally speaking, I think you'll have a better season than if you're constantly um, chopping and changing your team from one week to the next. Okay, I wanted to... I put out uh, a shout for questions before recording this a little bit too late to be honest but we've just had one through here that I wanted to throw at you um, it's back on Southampton and it comes from uh, James Twitty and he says um, is the security uh, and set pieces offered by Ward Prowse worth the extra half a million over someone like Stuart Armstrong yeah I think um, that sort of question so I, so I would I'd say yes to that I, I think that um, if you've got the five million, 0.5 million to spare um, then and because you know you've got a team that has people in it that could score from set pieces um, a because the delivery is so good but mm-hmm. also the, the 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 players you've got on the team I mean let's let's talk about Ings again I mean you know he's not exactly you know a tall bloke but he knows how to get on the end of a, of a decent ball so um, of, of all the set piece takers in the league Warprouse is is one of the ones that from a fantasy perspective that has an impact on Okay. Well, great. Well, David, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to join us today. No worries. Um, it's, been, it's been a pleasure. I feel like I've learned loads and <laughs> I, I, I will try and put as much of it into practice this season as possible. I can't promise that the results will be any better than my usual mid-table <laughs> finish. Um, but you never know. And that's why we play, isn't it? You never know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, you never know. Every season is, uh, you know, is, is, is uh, anything can happen. If you can always end up accidentally stumbling across an incredible team, and if you stick with it, you have a good year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the bottom line is just have some fun, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I take it a little bit more seriously than most. But if you're not enjoying it, then you know it's no fun. So make sure that it doesn't take over your life too much. Is all I would, would be my, my parting words. But yeah, it's been, <laughs> it's been great. It's been great to to be on and, and chat more with the sort of team specific focus as well. It's nice to kind of get your teeth into a specific team and uh, Southampton, a team with some decent options. So it's, yeah, it's been good fun. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much to David there for joining us. Hopefully, you got some good advice for your fantasy teams as you look to select them over the next week or so ahead of the new season on September 12th. Saints obviously start their campaign at Palace and they started their pre-season campaign at the weekend with a massive, massive, massive 7-1 win over championship side Swansea. Ralph um, put out his strongest 11 to start the match, which actually was made up of four 30-minute quarters. Um, Starting the game was McCarthy in goal, and then Walker Peters and Bertrand at fullback, uh, Stevens and Bednarak in the middle, with then Armstrong, Redmond, Walprowse, Romeo, Ings, and Adams. It sounds like we picked up exactly where we left off from last season. Uh, Ings was on the score sheet, Adams opened the scoring. Great to see those two um, in good goal scoring form. 
And yeah, we were 3-0 up after 30 minutes. We were 7-0 up after uh, 60 minutes, which is when Ralph made uh, changes, or wholesale changes to his 11. Um, Fraser Forster came in in goal um, then, which was interesting, I, I thought, because... I mean, Angus Gunn, it sounds like he's going to be on, he's going to be the odd man out and he's going to be the one on the move. So I think Forster's going to rely on um, Alex McCarthy uh, making mistakes. If, if Forster's going to come into the team, McCarthy seems like he is solidified as, as number one uh, and with good reason. He, he was excellent in the Project Restart games. Um, kept a clean sheet on Saturday against Swansea. Forster came in for the, for the third quarter um, and the fourth quarter uh, against Swansea. And uh, it was a lot more even after we made all those changes. Uh, and the, the, the scoreline ended up being 7-1. Um, so definite uh, definite edge, big edge to McCarthy. And I expect to see him as as number one with Forster battling him um, as, the, as the number two option. And then probably Angus Gunn going out on loan. But it's usually positive uh, to put in such a performance against a, a, a decent championship side in Swansea. What? What is frustrating, and Ralph mentioned it after the game, is the fact that now we have an international week. Um, brilliant for Ings and Ward-Prowse to get England recognition, and we hope they get minutes uh, in their Nations League fixtures coming up. But from a selfish Southampton point of view, and I know this, this applies to all the teams in the Premier League, and they're all kind of struggling to, to come to terms with this kind of abbreviated pre-season, but it's not ideal timing one week before the campaign starting to have your best players go on international duty. So a very interrupted pre-season, but fantastic to get off and running with a massive, massive win. Uh, other bits of business that I wanted to mention before we wrap up this week. Uh, Harrison Reed and Mario Lamina confirmed they've both joined Fulham. Reed has joined for £8 million, um, Fulham triggering his clause uh, following his season-long loan uh, with the Cottagers and by all accounts he had a fantastic season there. Fulham were really, really keen to sign him. Wish him all the best really. Uh, I felt that he had had a role to play at Saints this season but I think the lure of of guaranteed first-team football in the Premier League at Fulham, uh, he's one of the first names on the team sheet down there so um, wish him all the best apart from the two games that he plays against Saints obviously. Lamina's an interesting one he obviously spent last season on loan at Galatasaray. Reports in France are saying that Fulham are paying around £2 million to take him on loan and there's an obligation to buy him at the end of the season should Fulham stay up and Lamina uh, makes at least 20 league appearances. So that obligation to buy apparently is, is £6 million or, or there or thereabouts. So all in Fulham could get him for about eight million, which is obviously significantly less than the eighteen million we paid Juventus for him a few seasons ago. But I think most Saints fans agree that the most important thing is to get these players off our wage bill. Um, the ones that don't want to be here and the ones that aren't haven't contributed anything for a long time, the likes of Hoyt, Lamina, Carrillo, um, Elianusi's obviously gone on loan. Lamina of that bunch, I. F- I f- I feel, I still, I felt at the time um, that he came and joined us and I still feel now he's a, he's a very talented player and there is a good player in there. He's only 26 years old. If he can rediscover his form at Fulham, I think they've got a decent player on their hands. The problem for him has always been, as far as him in a Saints shirt, it, it was always his attitude and, um, and it was pretty crap. Uh, so he needs to take responsibility for that. I think Southampton as a club needs to take a little bit of responsibility because when we signed him, 
the club was a bit of a mess, both in terms of recruitment, in terms of our managerial situation. The, the squad as a whole lacked cohesion, it lacked confidence. And that's a difficult place or a difficult, difficult circumstances in, in which to play your best football. And I think ultimately it's got to the point where it's best for both parties for Lamina to move on. It will be very, very interesting to see what he does in the Premier League with Fulham. Didn't get a chance to watch him for Galatasaray last year. Um, so it will be interesting to see him play for them. And, and, and yeah, so that's confirmed. Both of those midfielders have moved on. Uh, didn't really expect either to make an impact at Saints this season, but having also sold Hoiberg and with Weston McKenney joining Juventus, it, it, it really does hammer home the point that we are desperately light in central midfield and we will need, we will need to sign someone. We've got Romeo, Warprowse and Smallbone in there, but that is incredibly light. We can't... Uh, I wouldn't be particularly happy going into a Premier League season with those as, as our options in such an important area of the pitch. So I expect us to be, to be very active over the next couple of weeks. Whoever we sign is going to need to, to bed in. Um, so Romeo and Warprowse are likely to start the season um, as that pairing. Uh, there's been talk about the Celtic midfielder and Cham. He wasn't particularly good today against Motherwell. So it remains to be seen of whether we kind of firm up that interest with a, with a bid or whether we go in a different direction. But it's certainly the case that we need to bring in another body in midfield. Um, that's about it for this week. I just wanted to flag that next week we'll be speaking to Toby K. Johnson, the Southampton youngster who is currently online with Riley Jahidi at Hartford Athletic. Very, very excited to speak to Toby K find out how he's getting on. Uh, Hartford have been going very, very well in the USL. Riley's done an unbelievable job on the pitch there. They were one of the worst teams in the division last season and they're up um, competing for a playoff spot this season. So that's all credit to him. Tyreke has also been contributing. He scored a fantastic goal that you might have seen on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. And we're really excited to chat to him about how he's been getting on in the USA, how he's settled at Hartford, his, his plans and his and his hopes for his Southampton, Southampton career. Um, those of you might remember that, that he's made one Saints appearance and it was actually uh, in Ralph's kind of first official game in charge, uh, the 3-2 win over Arsenal. Um, he came off the bench in, in the 90th minute, so that's his only Saints appearance to date um, in the Premier League. So um, big, big, fantastic chatting to him. That's going to be out next Monday, so keep an eye out for that. But thank you very much for listening this week. Hope you enjoyed it and best of luck with your fantasy teams.